All right, I'll invite you to stand with me now as we turn our attention to God's Word, Psalm 119. Continuing this series, we have one week left of this next week before uh, we move out of uh, Psalm 119 and into a series that will take us all the way to Easter in the Gospel of Mark. But we are now in verses 41 through 48. This is the word of the Lord. The psalmist writes, let your steadfast love come to me, O Lord, your salvation according to your promise. Then shall I have an answer for him who taunts me, for I trust in your word. And take not the word of truth utterly out of my mouth, for my hope is in your rules. I will keep your law continually forever and ever, and I shall walk in a wide place, for I have sought your precepts. I will also speak of your testimonies before kings and shall not be put to shame, for I find my delight in your commandments, which I love. I will lift up my hands towards your commandments, which I love, and I will meditate on your statutes. Let's pray together. Father, we again thank you for such a great week that we had at Vacation Bible School and the generosity of those children to give so that a church in a whole other part of the world can have the resources they need to continue to grow, to be a gospel witness in that place. God, we thank you for the gospel witness that this church was to so many families this week during VBS. We pray, God, that we would continue to see the fruit of that in the lives of these children. God, as we turn our attention to your word now, would you mold us by it, shape us, we pray. Make us ready in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. Because we have such a high military presence in Hampton Roads, whenever it seems appropriate, I often try to use military illustrations in my sermons. It's just culturally appropriate, I think, within the context of pastoring here in, in Hampton Roads. We have such a large collection. But we so often go to the Navy because the Navy is, well, there's more of you, right? And, and there's another branch of the armed forces that has a presence here in Hampton Roads that we often don't talk about, but I want to start with this morning. So Coasties, get ready. I'm going to talk about you. We got some Coast Guard people here this morning. We had a few come over from the base and I warned them. I said, you guys got to be ready. So here's what I want to know. Coast Guard folks, what is the Coast Guard motto? Thanks for pronouncing that for me. Now say it in English. Always ready. I think a couple of them got stumped when I said, what is it in English? They knew the Latin version. Always ready. Did you know that was the Coast Guard motto? I looked up the history of that, where it came from. And like many things with our military, it goes back so far that a lot of this is probably legend. But there was a Coast Guard captain during the time of Prohibition, 1922, that was the captain of a Coast Guard cutter off the coast of Georgia, tracing down rum runners, catching those people bringing alcohol into the United States during prohibition. And he wrote that on the board of that cutter to inspire his men. Five years later, he was in Alaska, and this is where some of the legend comes in. And they said that on that boat that he was captain of in Alaska, that they borrowed an old rickety piano from a fur trader's wife. And he wrote what became the Coast Guard anthem. 
always ready. You know, that's not a very uh, bad motto for the church either. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning, living the ready life. The main idea of our sermon is that we must be ready to share the truth of God's word in all circumstances. Now, while the Coast Guard would say they are ready in all circumstances to do what the nation has tasked them to do, the church of God should also always be ready. And we are challenged in this in this idea throughout the scriptures to always be ready to share the good news of Jesus, to always be ready to give a defense for the hope within us, to always be ready to tell someone else about what Jesus Christ has done for you. We must always be ready to share the truth of God's word in all circumstances. So we'll see this today from this uh, section of Psalm 119 in three parts, really how we are standing ready to share the word with those who oppose the gospel, with those who need to hear the gospel, and even with ourselves. So first, ready to answer those who oppose the gospel. Look with me at the beginning of this section. Verses 41 and 42 read, Let your steadfast love come to me, O Lord, your salvation according to your promise. Then shall I have an answer for him who taunts me, for I trust in your word. The psalmist begins this section of this acrostic poem, this longest chapter of the Bible, by demonstrating his utter dependence upon the salvation of the Lord that was made known to him, he says at the end of verse 41, according to your promise. How the psalmist begins this section is by saying, the way that I know of salvation from the Lord is because the Lord has told me in his word about his salvation. Everything else in this section of this psalm is dependent upon this statement. That's why verse 42 begins with the word then. Because what we will then do after coming to know the salvation of the Lord after coming to know the steadfast love of the Lord, which has come to the psalmist and has come to all of us who are in Christ Jesus, is dependent upon that very fact in our lives. Often I will share the gospel as a part of a uh, sermon. It's usually towards the end. Can I just begin this way today? Can, can I begin by saying this? If you are outside of Jesus if you've never turned towards Christ in faith and repentance, if you've never looked to him to save you and to give you new life, know this, the rest of this sermon is going to make no sense to you. You can't be ready to share the word of God if you have not believed the word of God. You can't be ready to share the promises of God if you have never called upon the promises of God for salvation in your own life. The then is very important in this section. So maybe just right now, the Holy Spirit convicts you of your sin. It doesn't have to be at an end of a sermon, right? The Holy Spirit could convict you of your sin right now. And just where you're sitting, you could call on the name of the Lord to be saved. Then the rest of the sermon makes sense for you. Oh Lord, let your steadfast love come to us. 
your salvation according to your promises. Then the psalmist says he has an answer for his enemies from the word because he trusts in the word. Notice what the psalmist does here. He connects what is obviously happening in his life because this is the third time so far in what is 42 verses uh, as we've progressed through Psalm 119 that we've seen the psalmist refer to his enemies. The third time he is, he, in the first two, he's, he's calling on the Lord to protect him from his enemies, to guard him from his enemies. And now he is saying, he's changing his tune. He's saying, God, because you have saved me, not only do I want you to guard me and protect me from my enemies, those other verses are still true, but he's now saying, God, give me the answer to those who taunt me. Why? Because I trust in your word. He has an answer for his enemies. He has an answer for those who taunt him. He has an answer for those who he asked the Lord to guard him from because the word is in him. Because he has believed it, because he has trusted it, because he has hidden it in his heart, because he has known the salvation from it according to the promises of God's word. Now the psalmist says, I have an answer for them. So as we think about being ready, always being ready, being ready to answer those who oppose the gospel, because when we think about our enemies, we must think about enemies in those terms. These are those who stand against the gospel of Jesus Christ. These are those who stand against you, my friend, because you stand for the gospel of Jesus Christ. The question that we have to ask is, how do we give an answer to them? What does that really look like? Well, let me start in a, in a place that may seem a little odd for us, but it's going to help us to think through this. And this is Proverbs 26. Proverbs 26 contains one of my favorite Proverbs. I think every time I read from the Proverbs, I say it's one of my favorite Proverbs because truthfully, there's just a lot of them in there that I think are so helpful for us. And verses four and five of Proverbs 26 seem to say contradictory things. Let's look at these together. Verse four of Proverbs 26 says, answer not a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him yourself. So in verse four, we're told, don't answer a fool. Don't answer your enemy according to his folly. So if your enemy is opposed to the gospel, which was what makes him a fool, and his folly is his opposition to the gospel, don't give him an answer lest you be like him. So sometimes when we argue with fools, we become fools ourselves. So the advice of the, the, the author of Proverbs here is don't answer a fool because you become like a fool. Then in verse five, answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. So verse five says we should give an answer to a fool because it corrects him. We should give an answer to one who stands in opposition to the truth of God's word because he is full of pride. He is wise in his own eyes in the words of the uh, the author here. And so we, we answer him, we correct him, we show him the truth of the gospel because hopefully he will see the light of God's word. We say, wait, these, these are like back-to-back verses in Proverbs 26. And one, we're told not to answer a fool according to his, pro, his folly. And the very next line, we're told to answer a fool according to his folly. Why does the Bible give us two contradictory ideas like nestled right next to each other? Well, because it's the nature of the Proverbs. 
What the author of Proverbs 26 is telling us is that there is a time and a place for everything. And so when you think about what does it mean to be ready to answer those who oppose the gospel, sometimes we need to just be quiet. Look, not everything needs your opinion. Anybody ever tell you that? (laughs) Not everything needs you to speak into it. Some of us are far too quick to inject ourselves into a conversation. Some of us are far too quick to to think that I I got the answer, I got the solution to this. Sometimes the best advice is just to say nothing because to say something would be answering a fool according to his folly and in doing so, we would be like him. And some of you hear that and you think, well, that's good because I don't ever answer a fool. (laughs) I don't ever give a defense. I don't ever, I'm not ever ready to, to, to give a defense from God's word for those who oppose the gospel. And I would say to you, there is a time and a place for everything. And there is a moment when you do need to open your mouth. There is a moment when you do need to speak. There is a moment where the word of God does need to flow through you. How do you know when that is? That's the trick, isn't it? And the, the author of Proverbs doesn't tell us when we do that. But he just shows us that there are, there's a time and a place for everything. And what you need to do is you need to be dependent upon this, the Holy Spirit in your life, which we've already talked about this morning, the guidance of the Holy Spirit. We're going to talk about that further today in, in, in the sermon. The Holy Spirit gives us guidance in our lives to know when to be quiet and, and when to speak. So no, not every situation, not every conversation, you know, you're not the solution to every one of those, but you do have the solution to some of them. And knowing when to speak and when to be quiet is important. But there are times when people are directly opposing the word of God and the gospel that it teaches us that we are called to speak the word into those situations. Listen to what 1 Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 3. He writes, now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? So this is talking about opposition. This is talking about oppression. This is talking about those who would oppose you, right? The same thing the psalmist is speaking of here. But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your heart, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame, for it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. So now Peter's addressing more than simply speaking up in times of gospel opposition, but he's certainly addressing this. And he's saying, when you're persecuted for the sake of the gospel, there are people that are specifically opposing you, your enemies are coming against you for what you have believed. What does he say? He says, always be prepared to make a defense for the hope that is in you. Always being ready. So so make this connection here. Our defense, the, the, the very thing that the psalmist is asking the Lord to help him with here is not for self vindication. It's not to try to prove someone else wrong and to prove ourselves right. Far too often Christians fall into the trap of worldly arguments 
and we try to win an argument. Listen, the, 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 what's being described here is not a worldly argument. It's not trying to, to one-up somebody or to prove somebody wrong. It's intended to, our defense is so that we can point people to the hope that is within us. The goal is always to provide hope. And how do we do it? According to Peter in 1 Peter 3, we do it with gentleness and respect and with a good conscience. Go back to Proverbs 26. Sometimes when we answer a fool according to his folly, the reason we slip into his folly is because we slip into the same principles of argument that the world has. We become like the world in that argument. We take, on, we take on worldly characteristics and, and we begin to say things in a way that the world says them and not saying things in the way that the word of God says them and that a redeemed person says them and a spirit-filled person says them. We should always say things with gentleness and respect, with a good conscience. Why? Because we're pointing people, even enemies of the gospel, to the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. Are you ready to give an answer to those who oppose the gospel? Are you ready to give an answer to your enemies? Are you ready to give an answer of hope to those who would look at what we believe and what we stand for and what you believe and stand for in your life and even persecute you for it? Are you ready to give an answer? Always ready. Number two, ready to share with those who need to hear the gospel. The center section of this uh, portion of the psalm is speaking about our readiness not only to share as the beginning did with those who to give an answer to those who would oppose us but to be ready to share with those who are in desperate need of the gospel I want us to see from these verses three ways in which we do this the first is that we either communicate the salvation of God according to his word or we communicate a man-made false gospel Look at verse 43, and take not the word of truth utterly out of my mouth, for my hope is in your rules. Now remember the context of this section is that we're speaking the word of God. We're gonna come back to speaking the word of God. And here we're thinking about speaking the word of God to, to those who need to hear the gospel. And as we think about doing that, we have to understand that it is not our truth that we are communicating. Our world has gotten so fixated on personal truth that we've lost the idea in our culture that there is one truth. It's God's truth. And the, the goal of God's church should be to communicate his truth, his salvation according to his word because if we communicate it in any other way, we're making it up. And if we're making it up, then it is a false gospel. It is a gospel without hope. It is a gospel without power. It is a gospel without transformation. If it's just something that we think sounds good, it may sound good to us and others, but if it is contrary to God's word, know this, it cannot save anyone. And this is why the psalmist says, take not the word of truth utterly out of my mouth for my hope is in your rules. Our only hope of salvation is found in the word of God. And if our only hope of salvation is found in the word of God, then when we go to communicate the hope of salvation, that which we communicate should come from God's word. 
in his last letter to his protege, Timothy, the apostle Paul nearing the end of his life tells him, he says, I charge you in the presence of God and Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Think about for a moment, this this relationship that has gone on for a number of years now as Timothy growing up from likely teenage years and his first exposure to Paul to now being a church planter in his own right and Paul writing to him from prison and he's got limited things that he can say to him and he says, I charge you in the, this is how important it is, right? I charge you in the presence of God and Christ Jesus who judges the living and the dead. I charge you by his kingdom, he says like, this is very important, Timothy, pay attention. And what does he say? Preach the word. He doesn't say go around giving people good advice. He didn't say go around telling people things that are make them happy and feel good. He didn't say, he didn't say, you know, go around telling people what they want to hear. What does Paul tell Timothy? Preach the word at all times, at all times, being ready in season and out of season, which means when you feel like it and when you don't, when you're ready for it and when it's a spur of the moment, be ready. Now, some people would look at this and say, oh, this is a pastoral epistle, meaning Paul is talking to Timothy and thereby talking to only pastors. No, listen to me, church. This is for every single one of us. Be ready in season and out of season to proclaim the word of God. Paul isn't talking to just guys like me. He, the scripture's speaking to every one of us here. Be ready. Because the word of God has the ability to reprove and rebuke and exhort. This is what the word does. Look, false, fake, made up gospels always fall short. History, Christian history is full of people who have tried to improve in their minds on what the word of God has to say, who've tried to modernize in their minds what the word of God has has to say, who've tried to build upon what the word of God has to say. And in every case, they fall short. In every case, they run towards heresy that is unable to save. We must be grounded in the word of God and ready in season and out of season to say, this is the hope of the gospel found in the promise of God. And we must join in with the psalmist, take not the word of truth out of my mouth. Oh God, our hope is in you. Our hope is in your rules. Our hope is in your word. Would we be people who speak it ready always? Number two, we must back our gospel proclamation with gospel-saturated living. Look at verses 44 and 45. I will keep your law continually forever and ever, and I shall walk in a wide place for I have sought your precepts. So the psalmist goes from saying, God, make my mouth always full of your word. Make me ready to give an explanation of the hope that is in the promise of God to all who need to hear it. But then he turns his attention to his own life, recognizing that his own life includes the proclamation of God's word, that the way we live matters. And so we back the words of our mouths with the actions 
of our hands and feet. And he says, I will keep your law continually forever and ever. There's intentional redundancy in verse 44. I will keep your law continually. He could have stopped there, but he continues in poetic form forever and ever. What's the psalmist saying? The psalmist is saying, let every single action of my life be in accordance with your word. Let every single action of my life be according to what you have set out for me to do so that my actions align with the gospel proclamation the gospel proclamation of my words. I find it interesting that he pairs keep your law continuously with an idiom in verse 45, walk in a wide place. He says, and I shall walk in a wide place for I've sought your precepts. Now we hear the phrase walk in a wide place and it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense to us because it's not a modern day English idiom. It's not a phrase that we fully understand, but it was an ancient Hebrew phrase that meant freedom. When he says that I walk in a wide place, what, what, what he's saying is I have found great freedom in obeying the word of God. I have found by, by pairing these things together, by saying I continually keep your law and I walk in a wide place. The psalmist is saying that the scripture applied in my life is not restrictive, it is freeing. And so often we think of the scriptures as being restrictive in our lives. That, that, and this is a, a common accusation against Bible-believing churches that all we are are places that heap a bunch of rules onto people. Well, if you've been here listening to me preach for any amount of time over the weeks, you'll know, we don't talk about rules a lot here. When we get to things in the Bible that the Bible tells us to do, we say do them. When we get to things in the Bible the Bible says don't do, we say don't do them. But we don't earn our salvation by doing or not doing anything. We earn our salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone. And then as we obey him, here's what we learn. We obey his word. There's great freedom there. There's, there's freedom in Christ and there's freedom and obedience to him. Paul writing to the church at Corinth in his second letter to them in chapter three says, now the, now the Lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all with unveiled faces beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed in the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the spirit. So Paul's describing the process of sanctification where we put off sin and put on Christ and we do this primarily through the Spirit's work of obedience in our life to his word. So the word shows us areas of our lives where we need to be obedient and the Holy Spirit helps us to become more like Christ by being obedient to his word. But notice the same connection that the apostle Paul makes. The Lord is spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. There is freedom in the spirit's work in your life. So as you obey the scriptures, as you demonstrate that obedience to people, so you're not only saying Christian things, but you're doing Christian things. You're not only saying the gospel, but you're showing the gospel to people. As we do that together, we then demonstrate the freedom that we find in Christ to the world as we follow Christ, as we walk in him. Now, let's see a connection that Jesus makes in Matthew chapter five in the Sermon on the Mount. He says this, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. 
Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your what? Good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Jesus gives the same instruction to us, right? That we're the light of the world, that his church is the light of the world and that people don't light a light and hide it under a basket, but they put it in a prominent place on a stand so it lights the whole room. And that the church is supposed to be the light of the world, that we're supposed to be the light of the gospel and that we do this, how? That we may see your good works. So we speak the gospel and we live the gospel as we seek to be lights in this world. So we're always ready to share the gospel. We're always ready to live the gospel. And then we take every opportunity trusting that the Lord will guide us. Look at verse 46. I will also speak of your testimony before kings and shall not be put to shame. I'll speak of your testimony before kings, the psalmist writes. Could you imagine being given an audience? Put yourself in ancient times. Could you imagine being given an audience before a king? I know we still have kings today, but kings in some countries that exist today still in most places don't exist in the same way that they existed in the ancient world. A a king in the ancient world was seen as possessing the authority of God over that that place. And and this king could, could destroy you if he chose. This is the most powerful person in that land. And and here's what the psalmist says. The psalmist says, I will speak your testimonies, but I will proclaim your word before kings and will not be put to shame. I don't have to fear what the king is going to do to me when I speak your testimonies to them. Jesus, again, tells his disciples that this is going to happen to them in Matthew 10. And by the way, it does happen to them on several occasions and it's recorded for us in the book of Acts. He says, beware of men. For they will deliver you over to the courts and flog you in the synagogues and will drag you before governors and who? Kings for my sake, to bear witness before them and to the Gentiles. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious of how you will speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. Help us. Jesus is giving a direct promise to his disciples We also know them as the apostles. These become the authors, the apostles, the group of apostles, most of which were the disciples of Jesus during his earthly ministry, but not all of them, become the authors of the New Testament for us. And so Jesus is giving this very specific um, promise to them that everywhere they go and the things that they do, the Holy Spirit is going to speak through them. How did the Holy Spirit speak through them? He spoke through them. It was recorded for us as scripture. We still have the same Holy Spirit, but I don't ever get up here and claim that my words are God's words. I proclaim God's word from his scripture. The commentary I give to that are my words that I hope you'll then check against scripture, okay? But we still have the Holy Spirit within us and we can trust that the word of God, which we hide in our hearts and then speak in every opportunity, even if that opportunity is before a king, will not put us to shame because the Holy Spirit is working through us and through his word. Be ready to share the gospel with all who need to hear it in word and in deed. Number three, ready to trust with our whole heart. 
The psalmist ends this section in verses 47 and 48 by writing, for I find my delight in your commandments, which I love. I will lift up my hands towards your commandments, which I love, and I will meditate on your statutes. Church, if we are honest with ourselves, we recognize that sometimes the person who most desperately needs the word of God spoken to them is ourselves. And the psalmist is in these two verses reminding himself of how vital the word is in his life. Do you notice that in verse 47 and in verse 48, he declares his love for the word. For I find my delight in your commandments, which I love. For I lift my hands towards your commandments, which I love. You say, why is the psalmist repeating himself? Anytime we see repetition in poetry, it's, it's important. He's, he's emphasizing something for us. We've already seen that the psalmist is dependent upon the word for salvation. He's dependent upon the word to answer his enemies. He's dependent upon the word uh, to proclaim it even in the midst of kings. And he's even dependent upon the word in his own life. This is why I think he's repeating it. I think the psalmist is reminding himself, I love your word. God, I love your word. God, I love your word. God, I need your word. God, your word is my delight. God, I will meditate on it. God, I need it. Because it's bread of life for me. Church, there are times we need to be reminded. So there are times we need to remind each other. It's one of the things that a healthy church does is a healthy church reminds each other of the word of God. We don't condemn one another when we see somebody walking astray. We come alongside them with the word of God and we say, hey, let me remind you of what the word says. We're constantly willing to to do that for one another, but we also need to be constantly willing to do that to ourselves. And sometimes our our most harshest critic and our worst enemy is ourselves. Sometimes the person we need to speak the word to most clearly is ourselves. So that we'll see our faith increase. In Matthew chapter 21, and this is a little bit of a unique story that I want to make a connection for. It's not directly dealing with the word of God, but it's an action of Jesus that his disciples questioned. And and what he does here, I'm going to read to you in a second, but Jesus right at the very end of his life, um, does something kind of strange with, with a fig tree, right? So he says in verse 18, in the morning as he was returning to the city, he became hungry. And seeing a fig tree by the wayside, he went to it and found nothing on it but only leaves. And he said to it, may no fruit ever come from you again. And the fig tree withered at once. Now that's kind of unique, right? Jesus curses this tree and the tree dies. And when the disciples saw it, they marveled saying, how did the fig tree wither at once? And Jesus answered them, truly, I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what has been done to the fig tree, but even as you say to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, it will happen. And whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. You know, there's a lot compacted here that I don't have time to deal with. I just want to deal with it in the context of our discussion today, particularly in, in this ending section of uh, these verses in, in Psalm 119 that, that are talking about us loving God and me proclaiming the word to myself. The way that we increase our faith in the way that Jesus is speaking about here to his disciples is by regular, constant, even when we don't feel like it, 
study and dedication and love for God's word. You say, you know, there are times that, that I don't feel like my faith is very strong. Go to God's word. There are times that I feel like taking one more step in faith may kill me. Go to God's word. The way that we increase our faith is that we echo the psalmist and say, I love your commandments. I meditate on your statutes. I need them. Sometimes the person who needs to hear it the most is ourselves. So what? Am I trusting the Lord to make me ready to speak the truth in all circumstances. Just as the psalmist demonstrated his dependence upon the Lord at the beginning of this section of Psalm 119, we must do the same. We must demonstrate an utter dependence upon the Lord because it is only the truth of his word that tells us how we can be in right relationship with him. And then, It is the truth of God's word that helps us to stand against those who would oppose his gospel, to speak truth of the gospel in hope to those who need to hear it and even to increase our own faith. In Acts chapter 20, the apostle Paul is finishing up his third missionary journey and is heading back towards Jerusalem where he knows he is going to be arrested and imprisoned, and he, and he was. But he stops in a place where he had spent a, a good deal of time. Um, he actually stops outside of the city, he stops in a port city called Miletus, which is within walking distance of Ephesus, where he had spent a lot of time. And he calls the elders from the church in Ephesus to Miletus to see him. And he, Acts 20 is this whole speech that Paul gives. I just wanted to consider a brief section of it as we close this morning. At the very beginning of that speech, we're told in verse 18 that he came to them and said, so this is how Paul begins. Believing that he'll never see these men again, he begins by saying this, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears, with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public from house to house, testifying to both Jews and to Greeks of repentance towards God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul, in defense of his ministry, says, I I didn't shrink back from declaring to you anything. Later, he says, I proclaim to you the whole counsel of God's word. So here's my question for you today, church. Are you ready to do that? Let me say, I'm not the apostle Paul. I'm not a missionary. I'm not a church planter. I'm not uh, an elder. I'm not a pastor. Is this really a a sermon for me today? Listen to me. If you're in Christ Jesus, this sermon is for you today. Every one of us are expected to be ready to not shrink back from declaring the whole counsel of God's word, but to demonstrate an utter dependence upon the Lord and say, Lord, if you'll have me speak in this situation, let me speak. If you'll have me share the gospel, God, then I'll share the gospel. But for us to be able to do that, we need to have the same relationship with the word that the psalmist demonstrates to us. Do you love God's word so much that you meditate on it, that you hide it in your heart and that you are ready, always ready to share the truth of God's word?
Oh God, would you make us that kind of church that always stands ready? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you provided truth for us, that we don't have to go looking for it in hidden places, but that you carried along prophets and kings and disciples, apostles, prophets to write your word for us so that we can know so that we can stand on it and so that we can proclaim it, would we be a church that is never moved from the word of God because in it we find hope and in it we find salvation. In it we are encouraged to obey you in all things. Help us, God, not to just to speak that to one another but to proclaim that boldly as we go. We ask in Christ's name, amen. Our response today, church, is that the Lord, the Lord would give us strength to proclaim his word. Let's pray that as we stand together and worship him now.